understand that the sound that was coming from my mic last week had some static and some noises. Is that right? Is that what was that? A, some okay. Some of you verify that. Thank you. And uh, the reason I'm mentioning that is that we're trying to avoid that today. Uh, Somebody thought it was my new cell phone, but my new cell phone I leave in the office, so it doesn't come out here, so that's not it. So if there is a problem like that, let me know if there's a sin, or if somehow or another you're, what I'm seeing is not getting across to you, right? Why, uh, let me know about it, and I appreciate it. All right, we're going to go on here today, lesson two on signs of the end time. And uh, we're going to talk, we're going to continue on what we're, we were talking about last week, uh, which is things that's developing in the Middle East. And I'm going to talk to you, first of all, about the Middle East situation right now, how things are developing, why they're developing there by modern situations, modern day situations. And also, I'm going to go back in the book of Daniel and show you in the Bible where the, it was prophesied what is going to happen in certain of the countries in the Middle East. It was prophesied way back in the book of Daniel, which was 500 years before Christ. And so I'm telling you that so that you'll understand here that what is happening and what will happen, God's got his hand on every bit of it. And God knows how it's going to shape up, what's going to happen, how it's going to happen, the way it's going to go. And that if you and I will stay in tune with God, the Lord will always take his hand, keep his hand on us, take care of us. Praise the Lord. The Bible says that God has chosen for his people to know what the world does not know about spiritual things and their development in the world today. Everything started in the Middle East, it'll all end up in the Middle East as well. And so it's a very uh, interesting thing that we're be, we'll be looking at here. And uh, I uh, want to just mention to you here that, uh, as you know, uh, Iran and uh, the U.S. has had some words back and forth, and uh, the U.S. killed Iran's top general. And uh, in response, they sent some missile attacks over to America, over to, the, over to Iraq, uh, and, and hit around some bases there. I understand there was no casualties in that sense of the word. Later on, there were some roadside bombings, I understand, where there was a couple of casualties. I'm going to put this map up here, and I used it last week to show you a little bit about the Middle East and that area, and I want to try to help us to understand here where we are today. I'm going to enlarge this. All right, let me move it up. Let me move it up to here. Take it down a notch. All right. And I'm going to refocus here. Make sure we focus right. Okay. Now, if when you look at this map, I know it's going to be confusing to a lot of you. I'm going to give you sort of a layout, but I want to explain some of the lines and so forth. But... Uh, this is the eastern end of the Mediterranean Sea. This is the Isle of Cyprus. And this is Israel right in here, right in this area right in here, Israel. This is the Sea of Galilee, and this is the Dead Sea. Right in here is Israel, very small. Now, everything in black on this map is ancient titles to these areas, ancient names. 
or everything in red is modern day names so that you can understand it. Even these lines that we have here, these red lines give us boundaries of modern day countries in the area. This is Iraq. This is Iran. Uh, this is Jordan right in here, this area of Jordan. This is Syria up here. And this is Palestine over in here. This is Egypt down in here. In uh, black is what it was years ago. And, of course, Egypt is still Egypt. Over here where it says Iran, it was the Persians and the media Persian Empire together. Uh, in black over here, it was Babylon. It was Assyria. These are ancient names. Assuming you, Armenia up here. And then up here in Turkey, let me get up there, up there in Turkey, that was the land of the Hittites and so forth. Now, that's not important to us. I want you to concentrate on where we are today. This is Turkey. And these boundary lines that are mentioned in, right in here, this red, gives us the countries of day. This is Syria. Israel, remember, is just south of Syria. And then there is Jordan right here that's on the east side of Israel. This is Saudi Arabia down in here. And this is Iraq and this is Iran. And I will tell you this to start with before we get into it involved. Iran wants to possess everything from Iran across Iraq to Syria. They want this entire area to be all unified. And that's one of their objectives in Iran. But there's always opposition to keep from doing that. And they keep pushing to do it and trying to achieve that. And I'm going to show you in the Bible where it was prophesied, shown in the Bible, that originally that's the way it was structured. And Iran still wants to go back to it. But Iran has different goals for it today. They want to be able to ship oil across here and over to the Mediterranean and out into the sea to the countries uh, in Europe and in uh, North and South America and, we're in, and even uh, westward. Uh, they can go this way back down through here and go out into the Indian Ocean, but that's going a different way entirely in, their, in the entire world. They'd have to go around South Africa and all that to get it. So they want to be able to do it across here. But, this, but Iraq stops them because Iraq and Iran have been at odds with each other. That's what caused the Desert Storm War thing. Just before that, uh, this, this Iraq and Iran were fighting each other. And then we assisted Iraq, pardon me, we assisted Iran against Iraq. And then consequently, Iraq invaded Kuwait down here. And then we came in and assisted Kuwait and fought against Iraq. And it's been one thing after another. Once Jimmy Carter was one president. Later on, there was one of the Bush, uh, I think, the father and so forth, the Desert Storm. And all these things have created situations in Asia in which we have now uh, some kind of a, an army or military men that's staying in Iraq in order to keep Iraq from falling into the hands of the Iranians. Now, let me talk to you a little bit about what the uh, Iranian government is all about here today. I, uh, Saudi Arabia here, the Muslims are called the Sunnis. The Sunni is a sort of a mild or modern type m Muslims. They, uh, they get along with everybody else. You know, they sort of stay, try to stay at peace. They all believe in Mohammed and they all uh, follow that. The, uh, 
they, they, they have what their, their leader is called the, is called the uh, caliphate. Uh, caliphate's the title of the leadership. The uh, actually caliphate leader himself is called the caliph. The caliph is the guy who is the head of the Muslim world, according to Saudi Arabia. And that's the one they believe in, the, the caliphate, and that's the one that run, rules all of the Muslim world. Well, uh, Iran, or the ancient Persia, as they were called, uh, Iran has a different view of that. Uh, they believe in what they call the, uh, the, the imam, and they believe in these imams that are the head of the Muslim world. And they have some very odd beliefs. And, of course, their beliefs is more militant, more aggressive than what the Sunnis are over here. So the Arabs over here, this is Arab, this is Arab, this is uh, part Arab and part not. These are Arabs. And then the Persians or the Iranian is not Persian. They're not Muslims. Uh, pardon me. They are not Arabs. And so they are at odds with each other. America has been a friend here to Saudi Arabia for a long time. And they're also friends to Israel. And so uh, Saudi Arabia just keeps quiet about everything. But Iran squawks every time America sort of helps Israel out because they'd like to see Israel wiped off the map. Saudi Arabia would too, but they don't want to be the ones that say, yeah, we're all for it. So they keep, they keep quiet about it. I'm just telling you here the, the issues that are going on over there. So what, what uh, the, the Iran would like to do, what they want to do is unite their area clear across here, Iran, Iraq, with Syria, and tie it all together because Syria and Iran are together in their beliefs. Uh, they're, uh, they're, of course, as I said, they are the Shiite Muslims. The Shiite Muslims are, uh, is a little different than the Sunni Muslims. They are more radical and they have a strand of Shiite Muslims that's called the 12th Imam Muslims, or 12th Imam Shiites. And these 12th Imam Shiites, uh, they believe that the 12th Imam that existed back in 900 AD, I won't go as real fuzzy, in 900 AD, he disappeared. And they don't know what happened to him, and they believe he went up on a mountain, and he had three servants that looked after him. The father sent the son up on a mountain and said, you stay hid. I want to fight some battles down here where the father was killed. And those three servants stayed with that one imam that was up in the mountain, the 12th imam, up in the mountain. Two of them died. Finally, the third one came back down and said the others have all died. And the 12th Imam is still up there, and he will come down whenever there is a great war going on in the world, and he has to come and bring peace to the whole world and bring it into the Muslim faith. So the 12th Imam believes that the world is going to come together with a great calamity, and they are going to come forth as the winners, and the whole world is become, going to become Muslim. A very weird belief. So this 12th Imam... Uh, is the guy they're looking for. They also call him the Mahdi because the 12th Imam Muslims do not believe that he died. They believe he's still alive. And since 900 AD, and this is 20 AD, 20, 2020 AD, they still believe he's still alive. He's up in the mountain someplace and he's waiting 
till the world gets in a chaos condition, and then he's going to come down and lead, excuse me, <coughs> and lead the Muslim world into total world victory. So these 12th Imam Shiites are very militant people. Well, the Shiites are not that militant, but they are a little bit less militant than that, but they're more militant than the Sunnis. Now, did everybody understand? Don't forget what I'm telling you, because we're going to have a test from this next week. <laughs> I know, I know, I know it gets confused. <laughs> I know it gets a little bit confusing, but I'm just trying to show you here that this this working of that Middle East area, and the thing about it is that the U.S. now is trying to keep uh, Iraq out of the hands of the of Iran because they don't want to see this unification here because they know that if it ever becomes united that Israel is in great trouble. Israel desperately does not want to see that happen. So the U.S. is trying to keep that from happening. They have for a number of years and uh, so this is why that conflict once in a while Iran will up and do something and this time that the U.S. responded to that by killing that general and he, that general had been killing off different people and doing different things and sending bombs and all that, and everything was overlooked. And this time there was a response to it, and so the, the calamity happened and all the, the fuss about it and carry on and so forth. Now, I'm telling you all of that because, ironically, in the Old Testament, this was all prophesied that it would one day would be united together again. Again. It's all separate today, but it would be united together again. So to understand that, I'm going to take you to the book of Daniel. And uh, so in the book of Daniel, I want to explain to you here uh, how Daniel got involved in all of this. Uh, in the second chapter of the book of Daniel, I'm not going to read scriptures to you. I'll go, I will in the seventh chapter. But in the second chapter of Daniel, when Nebuchadnezzar had gone over to Israel and captured Israel, and they had conquered Judah, and he had brought the children, some of the young choice young men out of Israel. There were about 10,000 of them. And Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were three of those young men. He brought them into the palace. They were sons of the kingship and the direct descendants of David. And he brought them into the palace and so forth. And in that first year, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. And Daniel was able to interpret the dream because God gave him the dream and then the interpretation to it. And after he interpreted it to Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar thought Daniel was the greatest thing on the face of the earth and became actually uh, a king who honored Daniel's God, which was the God of the Jews, the God of, which was uh, the I Am, which was uh, Jehovah. And so uh, this is what happened. Now, here is what Daniel interpreted. I'm going to show you the image and what Nebuchadnezzar dreamed, what Daniel uh got the interpretation on, uh, excuse me a minute, pull it out here. And many of you have seen this, but uh, he had this image that, I think we want it like this a little bit. And this was the image that he saw. And when he interpreted it, he said, you are the head of gold, you're Babylon. But there's going to be another empire that arise after you and conquer you, and it's going to be the media Persian Empire, which it was that it happened. And then there was the Grecian Empire that followed. This is what the this is brass, this is gold, this was silver in here, and this was gold on this image that he saw. 
and this would be brass, and this would be the Grecian Empire. And then following that would be a fourth kingdom that would rise, and it was described as being iron. It had iron's legs of iron, and it would be the Roman Empire that conquered the Grecian Empire. And then at, toward the end of this, now this is important what I'm going to show you here. At the end of this Roman Empire, uh, the feet and toes were part iron and part clay. Notice the, the deterioration of quality of material. Gold, silver, brass, iron, and then the iron mixed with clay would be at the very end here of the toes and the feet. And then at this part of the end of it, the Bible describes it as being a time in which uh, a stone was cut out of a mountain and smote the image on the feet. Look at 244, I believe is the verse. 244, we can have that, Daniel 244. It describes that event happening, and Daniel gives that interpretation. Uh, 44, I think it is. Uh, this is good. We'll do 34 here. Thou sawest till that a stone was cut out without hands, which smote the image upon his feet that were of iron and clay, and break them to pieces. Uh, go then to the next verse. Then was the iron, the clay, the brass, silver, the gold, the broken together, became like the shaft of the summer threshing floor, and the wind carried them away, that no place was found for them. And the stone that smote the image became a great mountain, filled all the earth. And this went on to say that this would be the kingdom of God. I won't go into detail on that. But it means that God's kingdom would prevail at the very end. And uh, so that, that was the second chapter. So what I'm pointing out to you here is that the Roman Empire is described in the feet here, in the toes, as coming down unto Armageddon. And Armageddon hasn't happened yet. You say, Brother Myers, the, the Roman Empire ended in 476 A.D. That's history. You know, militarily it did, but not religiously. Rome has still had a tremendous sway over many parts of the world. You know that, Rome, through, the, through the Roman Catholic Church. And so Rome has still had a, had a hand in that. And so it comes right on down into the end. Toward the end time here, there is going to be uh, the end and the wrap-up of it all. Now, what I want to do is also talk to you about the, the end time, what it's going to be about, because... Uh, 30 years later, the Lord gave Daniel a dream or a vision. And Daniel dreamed, this is in the seventh chapter of Daniel. And Daniel this time did not see an image like Nebuchadnezzar saw, but he saw uh, four animals. And I'm going to have you read, we'll look at some scriptures on this one. Uh, I think this is what we, no, we're going to go the other way. All right. He saw four animals like this come up out of the sea. If you have your Bibles now this time, I want you to turn with me to Daniel chapter 7. And uh, is everybody still with me? All right. In Daniel chapter 7, Daniel had this vision. And this is like 30 years after chapter 2. And, uh, and he said that he was, he was, uh, it was the first year of Belshazzar, who was a grandson of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar died and his son, and then and now this is his grandson in his first year. And uh, verse 3, and four great beasts came up from the sea to verse 1 from another. Now, I'm not going to give you all the detail about all of them, but I'm just going to read the first line. Verse 4, the first was like a lion. 
That's right here. And it goes on to describe he had wings and, and different things like this. And then it goes on to say in verse 5, and behold, another beast, second was like a bear. This is the bear here. It had three ribs in his teeth, and each one of these have significance about how they were developed as a nation, how they came about as an empire. Verse 6, this is this one here. And after this, I beheld and lo, another like a leopard. And this one had four wings like a fowl and four heads. So four is a very prominent figure. This, we're going to be looking at this a little closer on later on. And then finally down in verse 7, it talks about the fourth beast. It's after this in the night vision and behold a fourth beast dreadful and terrible. It doesn't say he looked like any animal particularly. Just dreadful and terrible and strong exceedingly and had great iron teeth. Remember the iron about the Roman Empire having legs of iron. Iron teeth and it devoured and break in pieces and stamped with the residue of it. And it was diverse from all the beasts that were before it. And it had ten horns. And uh, so it goes on to describe this fourth beast. Now I'm not going to get into detail about the beast here so much as what came, what happened here in that next verse, verse 8. Everybody still with me now? This is uh, Daniel 7, 8. I consider the horns, 10 of them. Behold, there came up among them another little horn, before whom there were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking great things. Now, Daniel later on, wanting to know the interpretation of it over in verse 19, then I would know the truth of the fourth beast, which was diverse from all the other. Then verse 20 gives us the interpretation of it by the angel that was there with him, which was Gabriel. And of these, then he says, and I would know the truth of the 10 horns of the fourth beast and of the 10 horns in verse 20 that were in his head and of the other, which is that little horn, which came up and before whom three fell, even of that horn that had eyes and a mouth that spake very great things, whose look was more stout than his fellows. And this is actually describing the Antichrist that would come at the end time. At the end time. Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn over with me to Revelations here for a moment. Revelations 13. I'm not going to read all of it, but I just want to read a couple of verses to you here. Revelations 13, 1. This is prophecy now. And this 13th chapter of Revelation is all about the Antichrist when he comes. And I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns. And upon his horns are crowns and upon his heads the names of blasphemy. Down in verse 5, and there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. And power was given unto him to continue 42 months. That's three and a half years. And he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. Now, I'm reading all of that to tell you here that what Daniel saw over here with this beast and that little horn is actually a description of the Antichrist because it relates completely with that that's over in Revelation chapter 13, which is the chapter on the Antichrist. So what you have here then in the book of Daniel in chapter 7 is that uh, this, this ten horns that crops up has this little horn in it. And uh, 
Now, I'm going to uh, I'm going to have you go to chapter 8 for a moment. I want to show you something else. Two years later, God gave Daniel another vision. Another vision. Two years later. Uh, Belshazzar was, was in his first year, chapter 7. He was in his third year in chapter 8. God gave Daniel another vision. And at 8, 1 says, in the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, a vision appeared unto me and so forth. I won't read all the little details on that. It tells where he was and how he was by a certain river and so forth. Then verse 3, then I lifted up my eyes and saw, behold, there stood before the river a ram. Now notice that, a ram. Now I'm going to put a picture of a ram up here. And we're not talking about those real bad figures. We're talking about the ram, which had two horns. And, uh, and the two horns were high, but one was higher than the other, and the higher came up last. I'll explain that in just a second. If you look also over to verse 5, jump into verse 5 very quickly. And I was, as I was considering, behold, an he-goat came from the west on the face of the whole earth and touched not the ground, and the he-goat had a noble a notable horn between his eyes, and he came to the ram that had two horns, which I had seen standing before the river, and ran unto him in the fury of his power. And then it goes on to say in verse 8, Therefore the he-goat waxed very great, and when he was strong, the great horn was broken, and for it came up, up four notable ones toward the four winds of heaven. Now, in order to understand who the ram is and the he-goat, very quickly and very simple, look at verse 20. The ram which thou sawest having two horns are the kings of Media and Persia. That was that second empire that overthrew Babylon. And then it says, and the rough goat is that king of Grisha, and the great horn that is between his eyes is the first king. If you want to write down in your Bible, this is all history, there's no no big science here, but that was Alexander the Great, Alexander the Great. And uh, so the Alexander the Great represented the horn and the he-goat uh, that ran toward the ram. And uh, this is just domestic animals I'm showing you here. These were really a wild sheep and wild and wild goats that he saw out in the fields. But uh, he had this horn in the middle he ran toward the ram, and he killed the ram and overcame it. Now, in history, in 330 B.C., the media Persian Empire that had conquered all the world, uh, they were defeated by the Grecian Empire, led by Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great was the son of Philip. Of Philip. He was Macedonian, and he had pull together all of those nations like Greece, Macedonia together, and they became a great empire and they began to push westward. And every battle he fought, it seemed like that everything just fell in place for them. Uh, I'm, just, I'm telling you this because uh, this man was, was a genius at warfare. I've even read about him in history and he had techniques using a cavalry and how to fight an army with fewer men than he had and how to defeat him and so forth. He's a, he's a great genius at that, sort of like Napoleon. Napoleon was a little bit the same way. Genius in warfare. 
And uh, Alexander the Great was able to defeat the, the Media Persian Empire. And when he did, that Media Persian Empire, all that they had became his empire. And it was everything. It was everything. I'm going to show you a map here that uh, I'll show you. It's just sort of a crazy map. But it shows you a little bit. This is, this is, North, this is Spain. This is all North Africa here. Oh, most of you recognize it. And this is that Middle East right in here. That's Israel right there. That little spot where my pinpoint is. And uh, forget the colors. I'm just talking. This is Egypt here. This is Israel. This is Saudi Arabia. This is Iraq right here. This is Iran. This is, I mean, I'm sorry. This is Syria. And this is Iran over here. Now, also, there was Turkey. I'm showing you this. And here's Greece and Macedonia and Thrace up in just north of that. Well, Alexander the Great came from here. He conquered all of this. He came down to here. He conquered, Alex he conquered Egypt. And he built the city of Alexandria and built the greatest library in the ancient world there in his honor. Alexander the Great had all that done. And then he went forward here and went on a cross here, conquered all of Iraq and conquered all and finally defeated Iran and conquered and took over everything that Iran had. He did that in 330 A.D. And in 323, 323, I mean, B.C., 323 B.C., he died. Alexander the Great died. Just seven years after he'd conquered the world, he died. He's 33 years old. He died. And when he died, his kingdom was divided into four parts, four parts. They were his four generals. His four generals divided up his empire to themselves. And uh, so they became the, the, uh, the ones who owned it. This is what the scripture says here. If you look at Daniel chapter 8, verse 9. Remember now, we're going to have a test on this next week. Don't forget anything. All right, Daniel 8, look at verse 9. And out of one of them, well, let me read verse 8, and then that makes it, verse 9 more understandable. Verse 8 says, Therefore the he-goat waxed very great, and when he was strong, the great horn was broken. That's Alexander the Great. And for it came up four notable ones toward the four winds of heaven. Verse 9, and out of one of them, that's one of these four horns, out of one of them, came forth a little horn which waxed exceeding great toward the south, toward the east, and toward the great, the pleasant land. And it waxed great even to the host of heaven. And uh, it goes on to talk about this, uh, this, this horn, this little horn. Uh, verse 15, and it came to pass when I went, even I went, I, Daniel, had seen the vision, I saw for the meaning. Then behold, there stood before me as appeared a man. And I heard a man's voice between the banks of Eula, which called and said, Gabriel, make this man to understand the vision. All right. Now, this is important. Look at verse 17. So he came near where I stood. And when he came, I was afraid and fell upon my face. But he said unto me, understand, O son of man, for at the time of the end shall be the vision. Everybody get that? What's that? What I'm going to show you is going to be toward the end. <clears throat> Verse 19. This is still 8:19, And he said, Behold, I will make thee know what shall be in the last end of the indignation. For at the time appointed, the end shall be. And then he goes on to say, 
the media Persians is the ram, and the he-goat is the great, is the he-goat, and that being broken, it would divide into four parts. Now, the four kings that Alexander had the great was Antigonus, Antipatris, Seleucus, and Ptolemy. Now, this doesn't mean anything to you, but they were divided, this land was divided up so that the the Turkey over here, Antigonus inherited Turkey here. Uh, Antipatris inherited Macedonia and, and Greece up in here. Seleucus inherited Syria, Iraq, and Iran together. And this was Seleucus. Ptolemy inherited Egypt. And then so you had what was, and, and Syria is north of Jerusalem, Egypt is south. And from here on, there is talk and discussion all through the 10th and the 11th chapter of the book of Daniel about the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, these two kingdoms that were part of the four kingdoms of Alexander the Great. And it narrows down to these because they're the two that involved Israel. And these two powers fought each other for hundreds of years, back and forth, back and forth, Egypt with Syria. Syria being united with Iraq and with Iran. And so this went on for a long period of time. They fought back and forth. Sometimes one would have the upper hand, some would have the other would have the upper hand. And I'm not going to go into detail here, but it just goes to say here that uh, let me let me read here verse 23. Uh, and the latter and in the latter times their kingdoms would uh, when the transgressors are come to the full, a king of fierce countenance, understanding dark sentences shall stand up. That's the Antichrist. And his power shall be mighty, but not by his own power. And in Revelations uh, 12, and also in Revelations 13 too, it tells what that power is that's given to the Antichrist. It's the power of the devil. And it says, not by his own power, he shall destroy wonderfully or amazingly or awesomely or uh, in a way that's not even known by others shall prosper and practice and shall destroy the mighty and the holy people which are the jews because you're in the book of daniel here it's not talking about gentiles and through his policy also he shall cause craft to prosper in his hand he shall magnify himself in his heart and by peace shall destroy many he shall also stand up against the prince of princes that's that's christ but he shall be broken without hand. Remember that second chapter when we talked about the stone cut out without a hand and the smoke, the image on the foot. And the vision in the evening and the morning, which is told is true. Therefore, shut thou up the vision, for it shall be for many days. So Gabriel here was telling him about the things that would happen on the end time. And uh, so this, this, then, and then he was given another vision. And it talked about the 10th chapter and the 11th chapter. I'm not going to go into detail here, but let me jump very quickly to the 11th chapter, tie this all together. Uh, and in the 11th chapter here, verse 3, And a mighty king shall stand up that shall rule with uh, great dominion and do according to his will. And when he shall stand up, his kingdom shall be broken and shall be divided toward the four winds. That's, that's speaking of Alexander the Great. And not to his prosperity, nor according to his dominion, which he ruled for his kingdom shall be plucked up for even for others beside those. And then it says the king of the south, that's Egypt. And then it says down further down, the king of the north and the king of the south and the king of the north. It talks about from verse 5 all the way through this 11th chapter. It talks about them fighting and warring with each other. 
the Egypt with Syria, back and forth. And folks, this is history. This all in history is there. And Israel, little Israel is in the middle of it. And sometimes the Assyrians would, con- would go down and fight Israel and they'd conquer it, the Jews and override them. You know, just sort of give them, put them under surprise. Sometimes the Egyptians would come back and overconquer. Then it was the Ptolemies that were in, the, in Egypt and it was the Lucis which were in Syria. And they were, it's a dynasty. That Egyptian dynasty went to 12 kings down the line. The last one of the, of the Ptolemies was Cleopatra. You remember her in history, Cleopatra. And uh, she hooked up with one of the Romans, and the Romans had now taken over the then-known world. So I'm just telling you here this strife that went on back and forth, back on. But whenever this angel, Gabriel, is explaining this to Daniel, he skips on, he goes on through it all and talks about this war back and forth, back and forth. And then finally, he comes on down to verse 35, 1135. And I'm going to give you some, some breaks here in just a name. I'm going to leave this in just a moment. 35. And some of them of understanding shall fall to try them to purge and to make them white, even to the time of the end, because it is yet for a time appointed. Now he's talking to Daniel, saying this is going to be for a time appointed. And nobody knows when this is going to happen. Nobody knows. The only the Lord God himself, almighty. The Bible says it's not known by anyone. Look at verse 36. He talks about this king of the, of the, of the north here. And the king, this king of the north is speaking of. The king shall do according to his will and he shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every God and shall speak marvelous things against the God of gods and shall prosper till the indignation be accomplished. That's the indignation of the Jews being scattered throughout all the world since 70 AD. They've been scattered throughout all the world and uh, they do not have their own home. They're trying to have their home. You say, wait a minute. The Jews have established Israel as their, as their country. But that has not been established by God fully yet. That is it's called Zionism. And that's where the Jews themselves go back to have a country for Jews. Don't care what their religion is, what they believe, what kind of faith they have. doesn't matter. Judaism, Christianity, it doesn't matter. Atheists, it doesn't matter. As long as they're just Jews, they've got to land there. And this is why that they're still not out of the woods there. This is why they're still in there. And this is why they're still subject to a Gentile power. Ever since Nebuchadnezzar, Israel has been subject to a Gentile power. And they have been. They were subject to Babylon. They were subject to Media Persian Empire. They were subject to the Grecian Empire. They were subject to the Roman Empire. And they've been subject to somebody all through time. And right on down even today. And today... Israel, even though they're an independent nation, is dependent on America being their ally. Believe me, folks, that's very important. And that's, they still depend on that because this is the time of the Gentiles. Uh, look in, uh, I think it's uh, Luke 21, 24, 21, 24. Let me just read this a minute. Time of the Gentiles started with Nebuchadnezzar and is still going on. 21, thank you. And they shall fall. This is speaking of the Jews in 70 AD. Jesus prophesied this. They shall fall by the edge of the sword and shall be led away captive into all nations. And that did happen in 70 AD. And Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles. And it was until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. And the time of the Gentiles is not fulfilled yet. So Israel still trodden down. 
<laughs> Somebody said when you go over there and see all the tourists walking all across Israel, you'll know it's still being trod down on the Gentile. That, that was humorous. Anyhow, look also in, uh, in Romans uh, 11.25, I think it is. 11.25 mentions the same thing about the times of the Gentiles. Romans 11.25, okay. For I would not, brother, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceit, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. So the fullness of the Gentiles has not yet been completed. That's why God now has opened the door of salvation to us Gentiles. This is the time of the Gentiles not only to be saved, but also for the Gentiles to be controlled and over Jerusalem and over Israel. Uh, that's why Israel is scattered throughout all the world there and all kind of nations all around the world. Uh, let me just say this. The door of salvation is still open, wide open, folks. And we are still in the day of revival. Now, I know the Lord's coming is getting close. But we as a church must keep our eye on the commandment of the Lord. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. Don't ever give up on mission. Don't ever give up on soul winning. Don't ever, don't ever quit that. This is what this is all about. God is still doing a great work. And I don't know when the Lord's coming back. I have no idea. He may come back tomorrow. He may come back 10 years from now, 20 years. I have no idea. Nobody knows the day nor the hour nor even the year that the Lord is coming back. But I want to just say this, during this period of time, just like the Lord, the Lord put Noah and all the animals and his family in the ark and the door was open for seven days, seven days after they were in there and safe, he left the door open so anybody could go in. Can I just say this? The door of salvation is not squeaking shut. It just stands wide open and anybody can be saved. Praise the Lord. And I want you to know that you and I have to try to win everybody we can to the Lord because one day it will happen. And in a time that we think not, the Lord will come, praise the Lord, and it will be eating and drinking, marrying and giving a marriage, everything going on just as normal like it is today. And all of a sudden the Lord will come and all of a sudden now the whole thing will change and we'll begin to see the tribulation period of things that happen come to pass. What we're looking at here is being described as what will happen in the end time is talking about the Antichrist. Now, I'm going to finish reading here in Daniel 11. And uh, remember, read verse 36. The king shall do according to his will, and he shall exalt himself. 11.36 of Daniel. Exalt and magnify himself above every god, and shall speak evil things against the god of gods, and shall prosper till the indignation be accomplished. That's Israel being scattered. For that is determined shall be done. Verse 37, neither shall he regard the God of his fathers. That uh, makes some other people believe he may be even a Jew himself. Nor the desire of women. Some believe he may be homosexual. For nor regard any God, for he shall magnify himself above all. But in his estate shall he honor the God of forces and a God whom his fathers knew not. Shall he honor with gold, silver, and precious stones, stones, pleasant things? Thus shall he do in the most strongholds with a strange God, whom he shall acknowledge and increase with glory, and he shall cause them to rule over many, and shall divide the land for gain. It goes on to describe, I'm dreamt of verse 45, because verse 45 coincides with a scripture in 2 Thessalonians 2.4, and I won't read that one, but just mention it to you. 
He shall plant the tabernacles of his palace between the seas and the glorious holy mountain. That's in, that's in, Israel, that's in Jerusalem, between the seas of the Mediterranean Sea and the, and the Dead Sea. And yet he shall come to his end and not and shall not uh, and none shall help him. And speaking of the Antichrist, and it goes on to mention that. Now I can take it to the book of Revelation and almost bring you someplace that almost word for word for exactly what things we've read here in Daniel. So that we understand, you and I can understand what's coming on the earth. What does that mean to me? What does that mean to you? It means be ready because Jesus is coming back. Number one. Number two, it means that we must work while it is day for the night cometh when no man can work. Let us be evangelistic. Let us be mindful of the lost. Let us try to save and get everybody saved that we can. We can't save them, but we can help bring them to Christ and Christ will save them. Get people to church and more and more we'll see people turned away uh, from the gospel and from the truth. But while it is still day and we still have an effect, folks, Let's try to get everybody saved that we possibly can.